This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Jerson Perez, at Jerson Perez 0786 on Twitter, is the Academy Director for Silicon Valley Soccer Academy in the Bay Area, just south of San Francisco, California. His Twitter has a quote in the bio section that says, Perception is the reality. We are changing the perception. And Jerison's perception of soccer is probably a lot different than most, especially me. And I'm sure that you will be able to relate, or sorry, won't be able to relate to a lot of his stories because he's had a very unique upbringing. And his stories about that are very, very intriguing. Jerson's dad is Hugo Perez, and if you're not familiar with who Hugo is, he is one of the best players to ever wear the U.S. national team jersey. Hugo also had the pleasure of playing in a number of different countries around the world, and he took his family along for the ride, including Jerson. In this interview, Jerson and I talk about what it was like finding football as a kid in a foreign land. He shares a lot of excellent stories, including one of my favorites, about battling some English kids during pickup soccer games inside of the Combine when they were living in Saudi Arabia. Jerson also shares his thoughts on coaching education and the pursuit of knowledge. And we spent quite a bit of time talking about that and what has led him to his role now as the academy director. And it's those learning, those educational experiences that have played a big role and him getting to where he is today, which leads me to the reminder that this podcast is funded by the members of the 343 Coaching Education Program, the members that have thrown down and have decided to learn from the proven leaders in possession-based soccer here in the United States. And I have a question for you. Do you want to be a better coach? Do you want to see your teams play better soccer? And if you're listening to this podcast, I have a feeling that you do. And if you're not a member already, I'm just curious, what's holding you back? What's stopping you? For a fraction of the cost of a USSF course, you can get 24-7 access to a library of material that has been battle-tested at the highest level of the sport in this country and around the world. The videos in the 343 membership program are from real training sessions and real games of real players working with their real coach. That is not what you get in most soccer coaching education experiences here in the United States. So I'm really curious what's holding you back from wanting to see what is in that program. So you can find all of the benefits of joining the 343 Coaching Education Program and see inside of that by visiting 343coaching.com. That is 343coaching, all spelled out, dot com. All right, that's it for the intro. I hope that you enjoy this episode of the 343 Podcast with Jerson Perez. Cool. Well, Jerson, I, I I just hit record, so whatever you say now, uh, be careful. <laughs> <laughs> right. Sounds good. Um, no, so I I appreciate you making time to to come on and talk to me. Um, 
you have a very unique perspective on uh, American soccer in general, but I I, I think uh, more specifically, you you just have a a, a unique upbringing uh, in a soccer sense and a, and a unique story where you know you were put into this great position where you got a chance to I, I'm assuming uh, you know watch your dad play at the highest levels of the game, and that had to have had an impact on you. Um, and you're you're still coaching to this day. You're still involved with the game today. So it's it's kind of obvious that the game infected you uh, at a very young age, and it's and it's stuck with you. So the the reason for the interview, like I, I kind of just told you uh, in our in our little pre chat, that you know I I, I wanted I want to get to know you and and how those experiences kind of shaped you and and have kind of brought you to where you are today. Because I I do think that this is a very uh, unique, unique story of, uh, of soccer in America. So, uh, maybe if you could just, uh, start by, you know, introducing yourself and, and, and telling people a little bit of, of what you're up to right now. And then, and then we can kind of, I'll, I'll kind of pick you apart with questions about your past and, and then bring us back to the, to the now. Okay. No, sure. Sure. So, you know, right now I'm, uh, you know, I'm, Obviously, you know, my, my father is Hugo Perez and, you know, with, uh, you know, with all that, his experience with the national team, you know, I grew up, uh, you know, I would say around the, the entire professional, you know, soccer world. Um, you know, we, we moved to France at a young age uh, to follow his playing career. Then we moved to Sweden. Uh, we lived in uh, Saudi Arabia for, for a while. Then, you know, we moved to El Salvador. Uh, where he, you know, decided to to retire. Uh, you know, within that, you know, I remember, um, you know, him preparing for the World Cup in '94. Uh, you know, I heard stories as I was growing up about what had happened in 1990. But you know, all around, you know, we we grew up in uh, watching him play. You know, a lot of the times, uh, you know, we were young, we were doing you know homeschool stuff. Uh, so we were home all day. We you know we would follow his schedule. We'd go to trainings. Uh, you know, myself, I'm, you know, we're a family of, you know, five siblings. I have an older brother, a younger brother that, you know, both work in the game. And I have a, a younger sister who's also coaching now. And uh, we have a the smallest sis, uh, sister, the youngest one uh, who was born here in San Francisco. But, you know, all in all, I, you know, all of us have gotten involved in the game. And I think, um, you know, we've learned from from watching him play, from watching the environment. Um I think, you know, a lot of people don't know, you know, it's, it's difficult. I think back, back in the day to, to play for the U S I, you know, it was not something that had a lot of glamor. Uh, there wasn't a lot of money in it. Um, you know, now that I'm older, I, I see that, uh, you know, when you're young, you feel like, you know, your dad's the, you know, a hero and, you know, everybody looks up to him, but, you know, as you get removed from it, you start to really understand, um, that, you know, a lot of it was done for, for passion. Obviously, they, they were making a living, but here in the U.S., it was difficult. Um, you know, and abroad, you know, I, I can remember, you know, even kids when we were playing, you know, on the street calling us American and saying Americans aren't any good. Uh, so we always had, you know, this thing that we had to prove that we were better than, you know, everybody else um, when you were abroad. Uh, but again, you know, with that, with, with this trajectory, you know, I would say my older brother and myself, you know, we didn't get to play, uh, you know, the way kids 
nowadays with play, you know, we didn't get to train every day. Uh, you know, we were in an environment where we didn't have that. The only thing we had was to go out, you know, on the street and play 2v2, uh, anything, anything that you could, you could do uh, or on the training field with the other kids, uh, you know, the other player's sons, you, you try and get a game. But, you know, I think your, your playing career suffers because of it. You know, I think once my dad retired, we, you know, we moved to, to San Francisco. Um, you know, he decided to do a lot of community work. And, you know, he decided to, to be a principal of a private school. And he put us in that private school, uh, you know, to get us an education. Uh, there's no soccer team in there. Uh, he didn't know anything about the club world. You know, we'd get invited here and there. We'd go play somewhere. Um, but as, you know, we're getting older, you know, obviously we want to follow this dream of playing. And, you know, at least for myself, I quickly realized how, you know, far behind, even though, you know, you could be a very good technical player, you can, uh, you know, have all this skill set, um, you know, but the speed of play, you know, and playing at, at a high level, you know, it's, it's completely different. And I think I realized that 16, 17, I started to realize, you know, how far behind I was in terms of that. Um, you know, I could go play pickup soccer and probably be the best pickup soccer player out there. But then I went to a real kind of environment and, you know, I wasn't nearly as good. Uh, so that, you know, kind of led me a little bit at 18. I went to college. I got a, you know, scholarship on basically, you know, my grades. Uh, so try to play for the school. It was, you know, I, I didn't fit in. Coach didn't really, you know, like me or my brother because we were both in the school at the same time. Uh, you know, my brother kind of pursued, you know, PDL stuff. Uh, but I, you know, I started following my dad around and looking at, you know, coaching because I, I, I figured early I, I wanted to stay involved in the game. And, you know, I had heard my dad talk about players after 18 trying to make it. And, you know, he would tell us if you don't make it at 15, you're not going to make it. Uh, so it was a, it was a tough pill to swallow. But, you know, I wanted to stay involved in the game. So, I, you know, I started, you know, following him around. You know, I'd pick up cones. I'd pick up pennies. I'd watch. Uh, you know, I'd jump in if I could on any of his sessions. Um, and one day, you know, I was 19, I was going to school and, you know, this team opened up, you know, almost wreck. And it was the club my younger brother was playing in. And that's how I got in it. You know, I took a team, uh, I enjoyed it. You know, I, I, I started wanting to do more, uh, as the years went by, you know, I, I took another team once I graduated college. Uh, and then from there, you know, looked at, you know, trying to, to grow myself in the game. You know, I, I knew about the licenses. I went to go do my licenses early. I think I was 21 when I did my B license, which now looking back, uh, I was too young. Um, you know, I don't know how I got in, to be honest with you, into the system that fast. <laughs> um, you know, I was I was the youngest one at the course. And for me, you know, still at 21, I'd look forward to the courses just to go play. Uh, and you had a bunch of pros out there and, you know, you, you you jump into sessions uh, and then a couple of days you'd run something. But, you know, a lot of it for me was fun because I, I was going out there and playing every day. Um, so I, I think, you know, once I, I got my B, I figured, you know, I'm going to stay here. I don't need an A. I'm not looking to go pro. Uh, so I just decided to, you know, keep working. I was working uh, a couple of clubs here in Northern California. And, you know, as I started to see the game more, I, you know, I learned you know, how much, how much there is to it. Um, that was around, I think around 2008, 2009. And that's when my dad started working with the, you know, U S soccer federation. So 
you know, I started to follow a little bit of his work with the national teams and, you know, see what they were doing. Uh, and I think as I saw that the aspirations, you know, for myself kept growing and, you know, I was a little bit more ambitious and, uh, you know, I wanted to, you know, figure out what I could do in this game and I wanted to do it at a, at a high level for sure. Um, you know, now, you know, skipping now, I, I've been the academy director for what was formerly known as Juventus for two years now, full time. Uh, you know, we've had to, again, to, to break the, the pay to play barrier a bit. We, we've partnered up uh, Juventus, the club in Redwood City, partnered up with the club in Palo Alto to to subsidize the program, um, to provide more scholarships, uh, to provide more resources. Uh, and we formed what's now called the Silicon Valley Soccer Academy. Um, and you know, it's, it's a one year in the making. I think it's, it's growing. It's, uh, I think it's a wonderful project. Uh, you, you know, you could see the upside of it. And, you know, I think for, for me, you know, coming in was, you know, how, how do we change this, the culture in, in this area to where, you know, we could, you know, we could make something of, of, of the players coming out of it and, you know, something for the club, something for the community. Um, and as you know, we're, you know, there's a lot of competition, you know, where we are, we're within 20 miles of two full academies, which is earthquakes and, and De Anza. So it is a very competitive area. Uh, and it does require, you know, I would say, you know, good work done by, by everybody here to, to stay, you know, relevant, to stay competitive. Uh, and I think it's a fun challenge right now. Yeah. The Bay area is super interesting to me right now and i i know that your that your dad and and the zemers and and a lot of people have been you know there's a lot of history up there with with that kind of that crowd and and like with norcal premier what's happening with with that organization right now and for whatever reason i always thought juventus was it was in the east bay but when you just said redwood city out i i know that it's in redwood city now but for like for years, I always thought that that club was was East Bay, but knowing that knowing that it's on on this side, and I say this side because I'm I'm originally from San Mateo, um, mm. but uh, knowing knowing that it's a little bit closer to there, um, man, it just it, it really does paint the picture, like you said, of how competitive or competitive it is in such a small area. You said twenty miles, you're, or you're yeah, you're within. 20 miles of Danza and San Jose earthquakes, but there's a boatload of other people or other clubs doing work in that area. And it's, it's quite remarkable. And the population is not huge. Like Los Angeles is it's, it's, I mean, there's a lot of people, but not, not like LA. So that's a, no, it, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy to think that there's three full academies, uh, you know, that close. I know we have Santa Cruz, which is the fourth one, uh, which is, you know, over the Hills. Uh, but you still get players from San Jose, which is about 25 miles from us, having to go to Santa Cruz to play. Um, but it is, it, it is, and you know, like you said, within that, there's a bunch of other clubs, and there's a lot of you know U12, U13 academies uh, coming up. So, you know, it, it's uh, you know again a difficult place, I think, to to at least you know to find players to recruit players because you know the talent gets scattered within it. Um, and I would you know I would almost attribute some of that, you know, a lot of people tell us, you know, NorCal is not competing as well. Uh, you know, I, I still think the talent gets divided, you know, almost equally. Um, so, you know, as a coach, as a program, you have to, you know, make sure you're you're working with the players. You understand what you're trying to do with with each of your your teams in the academy. 
Um, and, you know, hopefully you're teaching them the right things. Uh, you know, in the end, at least for us, in the end, it's, you know, how can we get this player into a better place than when, when he came in? Uh, can we put a player, you know, obviously at the professional route, professional, you know, area or, you know, like, like so many in this country, you know, they, they're going to have to go to college. Um, and the reality is, you know, we tell a lot of our players, uh, you know, school is the most important thing. You know, if you can play for a school, um, you know, that's what's going to get you, uh, you know, far in life, especially a lot of them coming, you know, their first generation, uh, you know, college students. So, you know, obviously everybody has this aspiration to be pro, but I think, you know, growing up the way we grew up, you know, we've seen, you know, a lot of people fail at it. Uh, and we've seen a lot of people not be prepared, uh, you know, with an education uh, or something to to live off of after they, they finish playing. And, you know, I, I think it's important that everybody's honest, you know, with the players and tells them, okay, look, this is your goal. Perfect. Uh, if we can't get there, then this is the other thing we're aiming at. So, you know, make sure you're, you're doing well in school. Uh, you know, don't leave this behind and, you know, we'll, we'll try and give you as many routes as we can, but at the end of the day, you know, you're, you're looking out for, for the individual uh, to set them up as much as you can later on for, in life. I want to go back to your experience as, as a, as a young kid and, and you, you touched on a lot of different things that I think can kind of relate or tie into what you were just saying but as a, as a young kid I mean your your family's obviously following your dad around the world as as he's you know pursuing a career at the highest level of of the game and you kind of mentioned that 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 didn't allow you to participate in the game like other kids do so you weren't able to join a league or you know play for you know certain probably you know seasons at a time in the same place you were constantly moving and you kind of had to play pickup soccer, but along along with all of that, you're also changing schools, and you kind of mentioned homeschool at, at, at different points. So it's a it's a very different developmental journey. Um, how how often do you reflect on that experience, and and what are some of the things that kind of stand out to you the most about your childhood and and the way that you kind of yeah got to see the world at, at a young age and 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 the different aspects of, of the sport. You know, now, you know, now that I'm older, I, you know, I think, you know, you always reflect back uh, when you see the kids playing, you know, our, our teams training, you know, you always kind of have that little hunger. Yeah. I wish I would have, you know, trained like this constantly. Um, but on, on the other hand, I think, you know, we, we definitely learn, you know, a lot about the game outside of the U S uh, and I, I think that was a valuable you know, lesson as well, because, you know, the passion is, is different in every country we, we were in, you know, the passion for the game was, was completely different. And, you know, times are different now, but even, you know, even in Saudi Arabia, um, you know, I think I remember trainings were 10, 1030 at night, because uh, it's so hot. And, you know, we'd go with my dad and, you know, there's tons of people watching training and the stadiums were 100,000 people full. Uh, you know, you see a, a sea of white because they have to wear the white uh, all the men there. So, and it's constant singing. And so you, you, you we learned um, just how passionate the world was, you know, ab about this game. And, you know, it didn't matter if it was Saudi Arabia, you know, it didn't matter if it wasn't, you know, European leagues it, to them in the country that, you know, their team in that city was everything. Um, and everywhere we went, it was the same in El Salvador. It was, it was the same thing. I mean, the stadiums are packed. The people love their team. They bleed for it. Um, 
So, you know, we saw, I, I think that perspective um, was a lot different than what we saw in the U.S. Because uh, once we were back in the U.S., you know, even if it was the national team playing, you know, they play a lot in Fullerton or, you know, they play here in Stanford, whatever it was. But it was never the same. Um, it was always a different crowd or it was empty. Um, but, you know, I think the first time I, I, I remember experiencing it almost, again, almost the same was the World Cup games in 94. Um, you know, it was the first time I think I felt a buzz here for the sport or for at least the team that my dad played on. Um, you know, you would you could see a little bit of the difference. And, you know, like everybody, you thought this was the turning point. This is, you know, when we become the world power that we're supposed to be. Um, but but I think that was, you know, the most valuable thing. Yeah, there are regrets. Like I said, not playing is a regret. Uh, it's a regret, you know, we live with. But, you know, staying in the game is to me is valuable and, you know, learning what just, you know, reflecting back now, even when I, you know, used to watch the, the world cup 94 team training, you know, every day, you know, I asked my dad constantly, you know, what, what were you guys working on? Cause I, I don't remember you guys working on anything specific or, you know, something. <laughs> and, you know, even my dad would tell me, yeah, it's, you know, pretty old school. Uh, you know, a lot of, you know, big games, uh, you know, Bora was the coach, Bora liked to play. I remember them playing a lot of soccer tennis, um, but, you know, nothing like you see now, I think, and I think the game's evolved, you know, you don't see you know, Guardiola stuff, uh, Simeone stuff, you know, it, it, I think it was a little bit different. Um, so I, I think, you know, been appreciative to see how the game grows and how it evolves and how you have to constantly, you know, keep uh, adapting and learning to, to you know, I, I don't want to say stay relevant, but at least to, to understand the nuances that are, are going on at the moment. You mentioned, you just mentioned Guardiola and Simeone and, and you, you listed off a number of countries that, that you visited or sorry, lived in as a, as a kid, but I'm sure you visited even more. What soccer stood out to you the most? What, what soccer like brand or style or uh, yeah, I, I guess that's the best way to put it. What, what style resonated with you the most as a young kid and how how have you been able to kind of keep that or have you been able to keep that it maybe your mind has changed since then maybe you you liked a certain style when you were growing up and it changed uh when when you kind of got into coaching so i, I guess maybe start with what resonated with you and, and what are you doing today or what what do you represent today so you know the style you know again as a kid it's it's a little bit you see the game differently i think you see it more as individual players that you like, uh, you know, individual players that you feel you can do the same as, you know, uh, you know, again, with my dad being an attacking midfielder, you know, we were all attacking midfielders. You know, I would say we were all very technical. Um, you know, we, we'd like to be crafty. Um, you know, Maradona was big at the time. That was, you know, our favorite player. Um, and, you know, again, you know, for me, even as, as I'm older now, you know, I think, you know, my dad, you know, learned a lot from Maradona, um, you know, played similar, both lefties, uh, you know, similar dribbles. I think, you know, obviously speed or change of speed, a little bit different between my dad and, and that. And obviously, you know, Maradona is probably the greatest ever, but, you know, as a kid, I, you know, that's what resonated with me, just the individual players, um, you know, growing up, going to different countries, you don't know anybody. Um, so you're just watching your dad play, you know, you're watching what your dad does. You're watching, you know, what your dad does in training, you're watching what he did in the game, uh, you go home, you're trying to do the same thing when you're playing against your brother. 
Um, but you know, you know, the biggest impact I think for me was Saudi Arabia. Um, I, for me, just everything, um, there for me was eye opening. Um, just, you know, again, reflecting back, you know, we lived in a compound, what they called the compound. Uh, and that was where the foreigners were. And once you got out of that compound, you know, you went, what was basically is the Middle East, right? And you saw what, you know, I guess what you see on TV now with all that stuff, but, you know, you're, you were in the middle of it. But, you know, all in all, I felt, you know, again, again, as you're older, right? Uh, you know, the game connects everybody. Um, you know, the game, you know, gives everybody something in common. And even though we were Americans, uh, you know, out of the compound, uh, you know, we were never treated with any, you know, disrespect. Everything was about the game and everything was about, you know, the, you know, the Saturday game that had just happened. And you know, I can remember people coming up to, to us, you know, for walking the mall or on the streets, just giving us anything that they had, uh, because they were so appreciative of the game. And now, you know, I, to me, it just, it's, you know, it's, it baffles me to, to think of a world like that. Um, but, you know, that, I think that was the greatest impact for me, seeing everybody so appreciative of just of a soccer player, I guess. Um, and, you know, they love their team. Um, and, you know, for me, that, that, that was the, I would say, the most uh, eye-opening thing. And then, you know, if you, being in El Salvador for a couple of years that we lived there, uh, you know, I, I was a little bit older. And just seeing, you know, I think the poverty level and just seeing how people suffered and, you know, being lucky for what you had. Uh, you know, again, it, it, it throws a lot of things in your, in your mind. And as you're here in the States, you, you start to realize, you know, what you should be appreciative of. And, you know, and hopefully you can see who you can help. And uh, so, again, I, I think that was, you know, the biggest impact for us. It's funny you mentioned that uh, people coming up to you like in the mall or, or wherever they see you and, and, you know, giving you gifts or just giving you attention in general because that doesn't really exist here in the United States. And, and the example I'll give is something I just saw this morning when I woke up. I was just cruising through my Twitter feed. And there's a clip of Ben Olsen, a former player, coach at D.C. United. And he's like go going through the airport in his D.C. United gear and, and somebody from TMZ s stops him. I don't know if it's actually somebody from TMZ or just submitted the video to TMZ, right? But, yeah. uh, but you know, it starts asking him questions. And I we don't see that very often where, you know, the, the professional sport or professional soccer player or, you know, professional soccer coach especially, you know, gets treated like a celebrity and is stopped in public and, and things like that. I, I just don't see that as our, or feel like that that, is as prevalent as it is in other countries. And there's another funny video of I think it's with yeah, it's with Cristiano. He goes and like sits at a coffee shop and they and they, you know, just put him in the middle of, of this, you know, courtyard and they have a little tracker of, of how many times people will come up and, and ask him to take a picture or a video with him or autograph and it gets up it's like astronomical numbers. Like he, he can't enjoy his coffee because he's there's a line of people that are yeah. that are you know trying to get his autograph and that that culture in American soccer I don't think we're there yet 20 years after or 24 years after hosting the World Cup and you know all, all kinds of other big developments in the country and we're still you know very far behind in, in that regard uh, but it's it just it, that's what came to mind when you were talking about that story and I'm I, I'm really curious too I wanted to ask you how old you were when you were in Saudi Arabia because it seems like you've come back to that story twice now 
and and that and you mentioned that that might have been the you know the biggest impact on you. So how how old were you when you guys were there? I, I was I was seven. I was seven years old. Uh, so I was a you know little kid. Uh, but I, yeah, it, I think I don't, you know I don't know if because of my age I had such an impact. Um, or coming from the U.S., you know how things were different. But like you said, I had never experienced uh, anywhere where you know people would would stop you know, a soccer player, someone eating, like you said, lunch or dinner. Or, you know, I hadn't experienced that yet. And I think that's why, you know, we came back. You know, my dad was preparing for the World Cup in 94. You know, it was different. You know, you again, you felt the buzz. There was people would come and talk and, you know, people watching training sessions. Uh, but like I said, nothing like, like you said, nothing like you saw over there. Or And, you know, again, everybody thinks of Cristiano. You know, you think of the Barcelona players, the Real Madrid players. Uh, but even in, uh, in, it was Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, you know, the team is Itihad, you know, that team meant everything for, for the people there. Yeah. So that's, it's, it's just so different. And I also like what you said about the, like the sport kind of just bringing people together. And I'm assuming that you had to maybe leave that compound that you were talking about to go and find or to experience street soccer. I could be wrong. Maybe you can correct me, but what, what happened when you, when you left that area and as a seven year old or eight year old and, and had to, you know, yeah, go play soccer in the streets in Saudi Arabia. I'm curious if, if that experience existed for you. Yeah, no, we, we would, you know, we'd play off on the side. If the team was trading, we'd find kids playing and we'd, we'd go and we'd play. Um, you know, funny story is, you know, it was it was a lot easier to play against, you know, the the Saudi kids. Um, you know, because they, they they just wanted to play. Uh, and I remember my compound. We had two two British kids, uh, and we had a, on, in the compound there was a big eleven v eleven cement field. And, Ooh, you know, cement my, field. <laughs> cement eleven v eleven. Yeah, it was a big field uh, of cement, and. You know, there was two uh, British kids that lived there and, you know, me and my brother would go to the field and, you know, they were older than us. Uh, they were at least three, four years older than us. And, you know, they wanted to play a 2v2. Um, and they would tell us all sorts of things uh, about Americans and how terrible we were. And, you know, and again, I, you know, we weren't bad players. Uh, and, you know, I think for us is getting their respect was always the, the thing. Oh, we're going to beat these guys. Right? And they're, they're so much older than us. But. You know, it was a little bit, uh, it was a good, it, it lit a fire under you, that, you know, that you wanted to perform. But, you know, just there in the compound, I think it was dif more difficult than going outside the compound and playing against the Saudi kids. The Saudi kids just wanted to play. They didn't care where you were from. Uh, you know, they just wanted to play. You jumped in and you were, you were part, of the, part of it. And, you know, I felt, I felt more in animosity with the, the British kids in our compound, which I guess we were supposed to be protected from all, everything outside. But I, <laughs> it, was, it was easier outside, maybe. That's funny what you you mentioned something else that uh oh man it's i'm blinking i took alpha brain to, to prepare for this interview and it, hoping it would help my memory and it's, it's it's backfiring right now uh you you mentioned something else that that caught my attention oh jesus what was it uh which part yeah i'm trying to think back uh, i just need to move on probably oh no 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 okay i i remember now this is something that that has been brought up multiple times and and i've talked with you know Gary about this and I've talked with Brian about this I think as well but there there during during that time right 
94, 98, American players did have something to prove. Like it, like, you know, there was that, that stigma that, you know, America didn't have it. America could, could not hack it on the, the global scale. Right. And so guys like your dad, Eric Winalda, uh, you know, that that whole class of players, they had something to prove to the world, and that went away after that class of players retired. I feel like, and so when when people talk about like the identity that America has as like these fighters and you know really gritty, hardworking guys, blue collar, that kind of went away after. 94 98 and and i'm thinking back you know of what those players qualities were and i was a young young guy watching them as well on the tv and i'm comparing it to the guys that were you know 2006 2010 2014 that blue collar gritty you know hardworking aspect that america likes to say we have that didn't really exist man like that stopped that stopped existing and Never more obvious than you know, 2017 when when we have players being you know carried across puddles and uh, you know losing to to the minnows yeah. of, of of the of the of the region like never never more obvious that that hardworking uh, aspect of the game that your dad was very much a part of we we lost it at some point I don't I don't know when we lost it or why we lost it but. You mentioned it in you know your two v two games against these British kids. Like you had something to prove at that time. Did did you ever have conversations with your dad or or with did you ever hear like other players talking about it during that time? Like was that something that you guys were aware of, or did you guys just realize it, you know, on your own? No, I think you know, I think you realize it on your own when you're you're abroad, right? Because everybody talks about. Um, you know how the American player, you know, they, they don't play it in America. You know, football doesn't exist in, in the U.S. Uh, and I was looking at it as, you know, yeah, there's good players. Uh, you know, always, always thought that. Um, you know, and and that was, you know, again, I I think with my growing up, you know, listening to you know stuff, conversations my dad had, uh, you know, it was it was a, a lot of it was that right, proving that you could do it proving that you could play. Uh, you know, I know my dad was close to so many things, um, you know, to maybe be greater, but, you know, a lot of the conversations were, you know, it could be done uh, or I can play there or, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm better than that guy. Uh, and I don't know, like you said, maybe I don't know if that got lost somewhere, but, you know, I, I have, you know, and I've over the years tried to collect as many, of my dad's old games as I, as I can. Um, and I've gone back and I've seen over 30 of the eighties and nineties games. Um, and then, you know, looking at it, they were good players. Um, you know, like you said, they worked hard, but there wasn't this idea that they just worked hard. I mean, there was skill there. Um, you know, and the way they played, I thought, you know, could be very similar to, to the modern game now, uh, in terms of, you know, how they were trying to connect what they were looking for. Um, so I think it was a combination of, you know, talented players uh, with different flares, different, uh, you know, maybe different tastes uh, of, of, of an American player. And I don't know, maybe somewhere we, 
we lost sight of it. I don't know. Or, you know, we just wanted to pick the hardworking player because that was, you know, the American identity. Uh, you know, I know we had a good run in 2002. Um, you know, and again, I, there was talent on that team and they worked hard. But, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, you know, again, this is, you know, this is up for debate all the time and, you know, in a good way, in a bad way. But, you know, did we lose our identity along the way? Did we just want hardworking guys? And then did we lose that because the guys thought, you know, they had gotten there? Uh, but it's definitely something different. I think the players, you know, the U.S. isn't where it was before. I mean, the U.S. is, you know, with the run in the Confederations Cup, you know, it, it did gain, I think, respect all around the world. And now that I've traveled as a coach, uh, you know, you hear about the American player being good. Um, you know, you hear about maybe the American player just being lost between 15 and 18. But, you know, before that, you know, I know they like the players. Uh, they, they, they're always interested in what we have. So again, you know, I, I think it's a good question, you know, where did it change or how did it change? But I do know that, you know, looking back at the old games, you know, you had, you know, Thomas Dooley, you know, like you said, Winalda, my dad, you know, Ramos, uh, you know, these were all good, good players that, that worked uh, and they knew, you know, you know, what they were about and, you know, what they had to do again to prove it, you know, at the world stage. Uh, and I think that that was something that um, I think was important or big, uh, you know, going forward in, in the sport. I think part of, and maybe you can talk about your experiences with, you know, the coaching education and getting your B license at such a young age and, and now being involved with the development Academy, but the, the injection of like, uh, like a coaching curriculum and, and trying to figure out like what we want to be, you know, nationwide and, and kind of getting everybody on the same page with, you know, I think it was Claudio Reina that, that came up with like a, a, a training uh, Bible basically for, for American soccer and then, you know, flipping all that on its head a couple years ago and, and going a different direction. It's like, you can kind of tell that we're confused or lost and, and looking, looking for that identity. Uh, what, what were some of the biggest takeaways from, from your B license at, at 21 and, and how have you seen the coaching education landscape change over that time from, from then to now? You know, you know, before I know that everything's new now, um, you know, before, you know, the B license, you know, now you have prep work before you go to the license, which, you know, has changed. But before you just show up 10 days, um, you know, you were given two practice topics and then you had a final test. And, you know, everybody was just kind of hoping they got a, an easy topic. Uh, so, I, you know, it was different. I think it was completely different. You still had to think about your session. You know, you still had to run your session. But, you know, I, I think even that part of it is, is evolving. You know, I took my A in 2014 and, you know, that was the first time I think they had put the, the, the pre-course work, which is, you know, game analysis. Um, I think we had a national team game to analyze. And then, you know, I took the, the director's course. I just finished the director's course last year. And even that has changed um, on how it's done. And, you know, like you said, you know, building, you know, now, I, I, you know, you have to, it's, it's longer, you know, six months, I think now for the license instead of the 10 days. Um, I think there's more classroom discussions. Uh, and, you know, my experience, let's say, B license when I was 21 and the director course that I just finished. Uh, you know, I will say, 
I've seen a positive change for it. You know, I, I feel that, you know, this course, um, it's a year course. I, I got a lot, you know, out of the course, you know, I, I you know, the, it's a lot about learning how, like you said, you know, what's your club's identity? What are you guys about? How do you organize your thoughts? Uh, how do you create something um, that if you're not there in 10 years is, is still part of the club's identity? Uh, and, and I think that's been a, a positive change, at least for myself. Uh, and I think, you know, if I had to compare what I got now from this course to the B and the A, I think I've learned, you know, a lot more. Um, and it's a model that I think, you know, they should look at more. I think just, just, you know, the, the going places and seeing things is for me, you know, one of the best ways to learn. I, you know, I, I, I'm not too familiar how they do it in, in Europe, but, you know, traveling to different clubs, uh, with this last course I took. You know, you, you learn so much more just seeing things at different clubs in, in Europe and here, even here in the U.S., you know, rather than just go on the field and, you know, give me a topic and I build something and then, you know, I can just design what, you know, what's easy. And then I go back home and I, did I really learn anything? Uh, and I think that, you know, that's been the biggest change, seeing that evolve or seeing that change. I think that's, and again, I think it's a positive change. Um, I think. For me, at least, it's made me, you know, a better coach. It's, it's given me different perspective on, on different ideas. Uh, but the, you know, the fact that, like I said, just just going places to see how things are done, and you pick what you like, and you know, you throw away what you don't like. Uh, to me, that, that's that. valuable. Yeah. No, I I love that, and and that's one of the biggest, or one of my favorite parts of the of the C course that I'm currently enrolled in is that's one of the things they said on the first day like hey like whatever works works and whatever whatever doesn't doesn't like this isn't this isn't meant for you to come in and you know completely change everything that you do but if there's if there's something that is good then keep it if there's something that is bad okay you know throw it away no 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 big deal um yeah i i had a chance to to sit and talk with with gary after I think it was like day two or day three of the of the C course, and I was kind of explaining to him like, yeah, like we did this today, we did this and this, and you know, a lot of it is is kind of boring and and to me like not not worth the price of admission. But yeah. there, the, the the two you know real big things that I think are super valuable. You kind of touched on it too, are the reflection and the and the planning aspect of it. So. Yeah, have you ever written down your philosophy? That's a question that that every coach should should be asked. So I'm I'm really curious. From the time that you took your B license to the time you finished your your director's license, like you had, you know, high level positions, whether it was a, as a head coach or you know as an academy director, like like you you were in those positions already before finishing this director's course. So I'm curious yep. at, at any point in between there. Did you actually sit and, and, and write down your philosophy or, or write down like your your goals or ideas or, or did that come more recently after taking the course? No, you know, and I think, you know, it's a great question because, you know, as you learn, you, you start to realize, you know, I worked in a couple of different clubs and, you know, I, I, there wasn't any of it. You know, everybody would take their team and. Uh, yeah, you, everybody, okay, we're going to play possession-based soccer. I mean, we're going to attack. <laughs> what does that mean? And, <laughs> yeah, so you're, you're, you know, you're, you're looking at sessions, uh, you know, I like this session, I'm going to use this, and I'm going to use that, and this is how I want my team to play. Um, but like you said, it, it's not, you know, I would say on paper, or it's not where, 
you know, somebody come in and says, oh, okay, this is what you're doing. So, you know, for me, you know, I know I started the process three years ago when, when I started working with Juventus a little bit. Uh, and again, I was part-time, uh, you know, I would just try and help them out because I had an A license, right? They needed someone with an A license to, to help them. So I, you know, I would help, but I was working at a different club, you know, coaching, uh, you know, I had a, a girls team and I had a boys team. And, you know, again, I, for me now looking back, it, you know, I've worked at a couple big clubs, I would say, and just seeing that, you know, everybody just kind of goes and gets their quarter, half a field and does something. And, and to me, there had to be something better, I think, or there had to be at least a way of, of doing something that was, you know, uniform. Um, and I, I think that's been the biggest thing I've learned, you know, like you said, B license, I did it so young and, you know, you're just basically designing a topic and you go with it. Uh, you know, a license was, was almost similar, I would say in, in 2014, but I think now, you know, I, and again, this is where I see maybe, maybe there is, you know, more positive change to come is, you know, a lot of, uh, clubs are, are having to put these things on paper and they're having to figure out, you know, how they want to do things, how they want to train. Um, and, and, and look, it, it's a, it's a work in progress. You know, even from when I took it last year to the last three months, I've changed so much of it, not identity wise, but, you know, working towards uh, how to train what you want from the teams. And, and, you know, for us in the academy, we have six teams. You know, how do we want those six teams to train? Uh, how do we make it the same from 12 to 19? How do we have everybody believe in the same culture? How do we have everybody understand the same principles? Uh, and even if you have it on paper and, you know, we can meet once a week and the coaches take it uh, and, you know, they'll have the session. It'll be periodized. You'll see it. You know, each coach will run it different and each coach will run a different angle on it. And when you get to the game, you know, the 14s and the 15s are going to be playing something different, uh, even though it's the same idea. Uh, and, you know, for me seeing that, it was, you know, I was trying to figure out how to how to improve things. And again, you know, for me, you know, I, again, always trying to figure out a way to, to be better and improve. Uh, I know, you know, we've changed, uh, like I told you last three months, we've you know, almost changed the way we've, we've done some of our, our work just to, you know, just to make sure everybody's on the same page. So now we have, you know, three teams training together, four teams training together at least two days a week. Uh, we're working the same exercises with the same details. Uh, you know, and that, you know, a little bit different of the model that you see, right. Where, when, you know, somebody takes a team, puts them on half a field and they're, they're working on the topics that they have, you know, now, you know, for us evolving, uh, trying to figure out how to, again, have an identity. And, you know, I found the best ways, you know, to have the academy train, like what it's called. It's, a, it's an academy. Uh, so they train under the same ideas. What advice can you give to not necessarily a, a new coach. I, I would say probably somebody that has, you know, you know, maybe a few years of experience and, and they're in the, the, the club world and they're looking to do something very similar to what you just described of getting, getting their team to play a certain way or getting a group of teams to play a similar way. After all your years of experience in, in coaching and, and again, looking back to all your, your experience of traveling the world and, and seeing the game in, in so many different countries and, and cities what advice would you give to uh 
to coaches right now about how to develop their their style of play and, and how to make a, a vision come to life? You know, I, I I think number one, you know, don't stop asking, don't stop, uh, you know, looking for for people that may know more. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, you can get caught up in, especially in the youth, you know, football world, you can get caught in, in thinking, you know, more and that your team's the best and that, you know, you're one of the best coaches in the area. Uh, staying away from that first and foremost, um, you know, I've been guilty of it a few times and, you know, reality checks you right away uh, if your team's not playing well or something. And, I think going out and, and trying to learn and asking questions is the first thing. I think second is, you know, in your club, are you in an environment where you're learning? And, you know, I was in a place where I felt that I wasn't learning anymore. And that had me uneasy. And that's, you know, why I, I wanted to find something where you know, I was still learning. I didn't want to be complacent or I didn't want to be in a place where, you know, you felt that everything had been learned. And I was just, you know, you going out of the field and, and doing it. Um, you know, that would be my other thing is, you know, are you in an environment that you're learning? And second, you know, with your director or, you know, is your director involved with you? Uh, you know, is are they there in the day-to-day process? Um, you know, almost are, are they running sessions with you? Because uh, for me, you know, that's the biggest thing. And, you know, even, you know, bringing my dad back from Southern California, uh, it was to learn more, you know, you know, he could, be somewhere else, wherever it is, but I need to figure out a way how to have them here where I could learn more, where the other coaches could learn more because, you know, we could be in a position where it's assumed that we know everything, but I think it's far from it. I think, you know, there's constant, constant, uh, you know, work that you have to continue to do for yourself. But, you know, I think as a young coach going back, I, you know, I wish uh, somebody would have told me that, you know, are you, are you learning constantly? Uh, are the people above you teaching you? Um, are there discussions being had uh, about how we want to play, you know, about what we're doing or, you know, does everybody just kind of go back and, and does something and, you know, basically you collect the check, the parents are happy um, and that's about it. And, and, you know, you see a lot of it, but I think, you know, the, the good coaches, the top coaches, they start to rise, you know, once they start asking these questions and they're, um, you know, looking for more. And, you know, for me, you know, any coach out there, I, I you know, th- that's the biggest thing, you know, continue to learn and, and continue to ask questions and find something or somewhere you can, you know, get something, uh, you know, out of, out of anything you see, I think. I want to end with, with two questions and you can, you can answer them h- however you like, like whatever comes to mind. If you need a second to think about it, take your time. Um, but the the first question I, I, I want to ask you is what what is your favorite memory of your dad or your favorite story about your dad? Uh I would say against Brazil in the ninety four World Cup. Um you know, as a kid I again watching the game, you know, Bebet and Romario for me were uh amazing. And you know, Tafarel was you know, you would see it everywhere. Uh, and then going into that game, you know, I was all, oh, look, my favorite players are against my dad. Uh, so, you know, that that was something, um, you know, I think unique, um, you know, lucky to be a part of. Uh, but I would say that, 
you know, that was the, the height of everything, right? That was what we had moved everywhere for. You know, that was why I guess everyone had sacrificed so much. It was that moment, I think, that that was important, I think, in, in U.S. history, too. All right. And, and the last question I want to ask, this has been my favorite question I've been asking everybody lately. And, and again, you can take this and, and run with it how, however you want. Uh, but what do people need to know right now? What do people need to know? What do they need to know? What comes to mind? <laughs> so much, right? <laughs> uh, you know, I, look again, if, it, if it's, you know, about the game, I think, you know, people just need to know there's so much out there. Um, and at every conversation you have outside of your environment, it's so, so eye-opening. And again, for me, I, you know, I had a conversation three months ago with, um, Albert Pugh, who was the who was the former director of Barcelona, and you know I've I've been playing against his teams, and you know I've been doing my work, uh, you know, I've been watching film, uh, you know I'm speaking to so many people. I just wanted to, you know, I invited him to a coffee, and I just wanted to talk with him for an hour, just you know pick his brain and you know ask him what he thought of our teams and you know what I thought of his teams, and you know in just an hour I. I I just gained a just completely different perspective on the whole game. Uh, and for me, you know, after doing the course for a year, right, where I'd been in Germany, Denmark, so many places, uh, to just sit down for an hour, I felt it was almost a year's work uh, of stuff I had learned. So for me, it's, you know, there's, like, like I said, there's something out there that you need to know and you need to find it and you need to ask the questions to, to find it. And that uh, will get you so much so much there's so much value in it and you know i think that's that would be my idea of it all right man well i appreciate you making time to to come on the show and and where where can people link up with you or for or find more information about about your work that you're doing in the bay area uh our website uh silicon valley soccer academy um, you know, you can see a lot of, you know, what, what we're doing there, you know, if any coaches want to visit, you know, see how we're working, uh, you know, we're an open book, you know, even, you know, our, I guess, uh, you know, our ideas that we've put on paper, you know, I'm, I'm always sending it to people or, you know, seeing if they have ideas on how we can improve it. Um, but yeah, that, you know, I'm also on Twitter, um, Jerson Perez 786. If you know, everybody has any questions, I'm you know, happy to to answer or, you know, me looking for, for answers from somebody else even. So, you know, that would be the way. I'm curious. I have one more question. What's the significance yeah. of the, of the zero seven, eight, six, uh, just my birth month in the year. Okay. Okay. Yeah. What, didn't your dad wear number seven? Was that your dad that wore number seven? He was number seven. Yeah. yeah that's right. Okay. So I thought there might've been something in there, but. <laughs> oh, you know what? The seven is popular for, for us in, in that way too, but it just happens to be, you know, my birth month too. Coincidence, just random coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Jerson. Well, I appreciate it, man. And, and I wish you all the best and, and tell your dad and, and the rest of the family that, that three, four, three says hello. And, and we're always thinking about you guys. No, definitely. definitely. Are, are we off uh, air now? Yeah, we, we can be. I'll, let me hit, let me hit stop recording. <laughs> Thank you.
thank you to Jerson Perez for coming on the 343 podcast. I really appreciate Jerson sharing all of his stories about his travels and his upbringing, about what it was like, you know, finding football all around the world and bringing that back home to the United States. And I think that you guys, or I hope that you guys enjoyed those stories. If you would like to find out more about what keeps this podcast going and what funds this podcast, you can find out more about that 343 Coaching Education Program by visiting 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 343coaching, all spelled out, .com. And here is Colton Bly to talk about his experience with the 343 Coaching Education Program. Like, you have to, if you want them to adopt a behavior or adapt a behavior, you have to rehearse and you have to choreograph. And when I, like I said, when I first heard that from Brian in the, Brian in the introductory course, I'm like, that makes so much sense. Seeing his, uh, at the time, Chivas players doing their building out of the back choreography, and then all of a sudden that changing to a game clip where they are doing that and they are having success and they are able to, you know, break lines into the midfield or pull the opponent out of shape, whatever, it works. And that's one thing that I've taken, and not just in the form of building out of the back, but also in the attacking patterns and even in the defensive moment of the game, uh, running through rehearse movements on how our how we press when we're defending in the attacking third or how we defend as a block and where all players need to be to keep our you know horizontal and vertical compactness in the mid in the middle third of the field when we're defending so the benefits of rehearsing these things is huge you see it translate to the game and it helps your team you can find all of the benefits of that 343 coaching education program at 343coaching.com All right, thank you for listening, and we will catch you guys next time here on the 343 Podcast.